So um, this is one of the most difficult sermons I've ever had to prepare. And it's, uh, you might think it's because of the subject matter, but it's actually not. It's because I only have 20 minutes to talk about it. And uh, there's actually only a few things I can talk about, and there's only a few things I can say about those few things I'm going to talk about. And so I ask you for your prayers. And, of course, it's really important that we come to this subject of same-sex marriage prayerfully. And I hope that you'll pray for me this morning and for yourselves, for the Reformed Church in America, because it's having to, it's sort of saying we have to make a decision about this, and that has a lot of implications for the future. And to pray for the mission of the church. In fact, that's where I'd like to start, with the word mission. My, uh, my brother's a missionary in Kenya, an actual missionary. He and his wife have uh, been serving there for over 25 years, and my wife and I will have our first opportunity in June to visit them for three weeks. They work with a, uh, a nomadic tribe called the Orma people. Um, it's almost exclusively a Muslim tribe. And um, while they certainly reach out to individual people and establish relationships, they know that the long-term future of that, of that mission depends upon extended families. And, and whole tribes coming to the faith. It's such a corporate people. Um, and so, you know, they're praying that there will be a, 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 a movement of God's Spirit and, and large numbers of people that will make it much more possible for individuals to respond. We're at a point in the story, and you're going to hear the word story quite a bit this morning. We're at a point in the story where I believe it it's, might be appropriate to begin to talk about the LGBT community as a people group, missionally speaking. Um, it's not just an individual here or there in the closet. Um, they, people know each other. There's a, a common identity. And I'm including people who are here this morning. I'm not, I want to say it's us, them. You're a part of us. We're a part of each other. And, and so that kind of challenged me to think missionally in terms of a, what do I want to communicate? What barriers should there be there and not be there in terms of presenting the gospel to Jesus? And so, for example, and this may seem like a, a little artificial, but I don't think it's too far from the truth in, in some respects. To what people group would we say, we would love to have you join us in following Jesus? We would love to have you play a full role in the life of our church. But in your case, there are a few conditions. You're not going to be able to be married. You're not going to be able to have kids. You're not going to have the joy of, of uh, spoiling your grandkids. If you're divorced or if you're married, it's, act, it's actually not a real marriage anyway. And so you're going to have to let go of that relationship. And I know that may be painful for you and your friend and your kids, but you know, that's the way it goes. You, you have to take up your cross if you want to follow Jesus. And by the way, you know, yeah, you are defective, but that's just the way it goes, you know. We, we're all broken, and, and uh, you probably won't be able to room with anybody either because either way, that's going to be misunderstood. But we'd love to have you join us in following Jesus. Now, I present that scenario not because I'm trying to say the answer to the question is obvious, but it is the sort of question we have to be asking 
if we're concerned about bringing people to Jesus Christ. If that's what we sense is a part of our mission. And are there obstacles that are there that should be there at this point in the story? And we are at a different point in the story. For example, in the past, it had to be immoral to be in relationship to someone of the same sex because there was no marriage. That wasn't an option in the past. Now it's an option. And we can say that the world is setting the agenda, but sometimes God has had to use the world. My guess is that during the whole abolition movement, um, there are a lot of non-Christians who were in favor of the abolition of slavery when a lot of Christians weren't. Sometimes God, even Jesus talked about that when he went home to Nazareth. Sometimes God works through the world to speak to his people. So there's the mission. I'm just going to leave it at that. I can't say a whole lot more. That's for you to think about. And my, my purpose here is to help us think about some of this in maybe some new ways, even though the thinking still has to happen. Another word is the word weight. I don't mean W-A-I-T. I mean W-E-I-G-H-T. Hopefully I spelled that right. Um, and this was, a, this was a pretty important word for me at some point in my own journey. I'm not going to dwell on my own journey in relation to this issue, but I, I have to tell you, this, I, this has been the most difficult issue in my entire Christian life and ministry for me to wrestle with. And I have, I've done it honestly. I have read literally thousands and thousands of pages around this issue. Um, I've listened to I mean, just the other, I listened to an hour and a half video on this issue just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and I've had a few temper tantrums with God. I've said to God at various points, God, um, I'm a pastor. I have a, I have a real important responsibility for communicating your will to people. You know I want to know your will. And I'm pretty much willing to pay the price, whatever that is. Your job is to make it clear. So why aren't you doing your job? Some weeks I'd be, it's so clearly on this side. Other weeks, it's kind of like a beer commercial, right? Other weeks, other weeks it would be so clear on the other side. And so one, one morning over breakfast, and I usually try to think, I often think about these deep things over breakfast. I had a little temper tantrum like I've just described, and these words came to me. Is it possible to be right about the issue of same-sex marriage, whatever right is, and to be wrong about the weight we give to the issue. Is it possible that the weight we give to this issue could be more sinful than whether or not we're right about the issue itself? Let me give you an example. Let's say uh, drinking alcohol. There may be, of course, we had a whole move, a whole time in our history when, when when there was the prohibition, it was wrong, legally wrong to drink alcohol, right? And so let's say you as a Christian or some Christian says, you know, I believe it's wrong and I believe that if you have a glass of wine once a week, you're not a Christian. In fact, you're going to hell. I think we all agree that's, you know, whatever you believe about that issue, that's putting way too much weight on that issue. And that could easily be more sinful than whatever we believe about the issue itself. Well, that's what Paul is dealing with in, in this particular passage that we have before us today. Um, I know we had a little mix-up 
because I kind of mixed everybody up um, in, talking about, in talking about what should be included in our reading for today. But in the very, um, very first verse, Paul says, accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Uh, that's the NIV. The NRSV says, uh, I think it's matters of opinion. I don't know if any of you have ever heard the, the word adiaphora. Anybody heard the word adiaphora? Okay, now, now you've heard it. Um, and what it means, it's a term that sometimes is used in the history of the church to refer to matters that are not essential to the faith. So, you know, whether you are a pre-trib or post-trib or you know, amillennial or whatever in terms of when and how Jesus is coming back again and what's supposed to happen before and afterwards, what matters is that he's coming back again. The other stuff is adiaphora. Well, that's pretty obvious when it comes to, you know, that revelation stuff. And, and yet Christians have always had to wrestle with what parts of Scripture still apply today and which parts still don't, uh, st- don't apply today. And in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul isn't dealing with some obscure ceremonial law or rule. He's dealing with issues that relate to two of the Ten Commandments. And most people believe that the Ten Commandments still apply today. The first issue is, it has to do with eating meat. Can we eat meat? Why is that even an issue? Well, as we see a little more specifically in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, if you bought meat from the local butcher, there was a good chance that some of that meat will have been a part of the sacrifice to some other god. And there were those good card-carrying radical Christians who said, there's no way we're going to touch that meat. I mean, idolatry has always been the downfall of God's people. Huh? I mean, and once you get into idolatry, then it's like the domino. I mean, and we see this in the Old Testament. All the other commandments end up being broken. There's no way we're going to repeat the same mistake as the people of Israel. And then there are others who said, well, you know, all food is God's gift. It's, it's not a big deal. And maybe we can't relate to that very well, but... You know, using another of the Ten Commandments as an example. What if someone were to come to you and give you a gift and you were pretty sure the gift was stolen goods? What would you do? Or maybe you're walking down the streets of New York City and someone says, a Rolex watch for $25. Now, it's probably either fake or stolen, right? What do you do? Maybe some of you have already done it. You've decided to ask no questions and bought the watch. And others of us say, ah, no, probably stolen. I don't think so. Well, this wasn't about a watch. This is about eating, having meat to eat. I mean, you're going to be a vegan if you don't eat meat from the local butcher. So that was one of the hot-button issues. And what Paul says, it's a disputable matter. We can agree to disagree about this. And this is one of the Ten Commandments. The other issue was Sabbath keeping. And Paul says, so some consider one day more sacred than another. Others consider every day alike. Look at Colossians. He's specifically talking about the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping has often been a big deal. I couldn't watch TV when I grew up on a Sunday. My grandmother peeled the potatoes on Saturday in the Netherlands so that she wouldn't have to work on Sunday. So some of us 
Probably those of us who have been from Michigan know something about, though you're pretty young. That's, that's, that's pretty far back. I remember when Meyer Thrifty Acres opened in Holland for the first time on a Sunday. That was a big deal. So, so Sabbath keeping. And of course, that was, that's a big deal in the Old Testament. It's a big deal for the people of God. And Paul says, we're going to have different opinions about this. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the disputable disputable matters so we can agree to disagree and so does this apply to same-sex marriage is this a disputable matter matter or not there's a saying that comes out of the reformation it's actually by a by a pastor that's otherwise unknown maybe you've heard it before it was coined in the midst of the intense theological battles of that age, around the time of the Thirty Years' War, which, if you know anything about it, was just absolutely devastating. But this is the motto. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's actually one of our core values at BRC, Bellevue Reformed Church. And, you know, something like that really sounds good on paper, and then there's figuring out how to actually apply that. So is this one of those non-essentials? Or if this is, is this one of those essentials? Our denomination is figuring that out right now. Um, is this an area where we can agree to disagree? Is this an area where a church can come to make a decision, but... I don't necessarily have to leave if it's different than what I believe. Of course, that depends on all sorts of things. If I'm a part of that LBGT, LGBT community, a whole lot depends on how people see me, relate to me, what I'm allowed to do. And so these are difficult decisions practically. We may not say or believe, well, if, if uh, you disagree with me, you're not a Christian, but there is the very real issue of, how essential is this? And how essential do we want it to be for other people? Do we have to force other people to believe as I believe? And I'll just leave you with that question. Is this one of the essentials or the non-essentials? Can we agree to disagree? Given where we are in the story, at this point in the story, people do still disagree with each other. I don't know where things are going to be 75, 100 years from now. The last word is Bible. Pretty big word, pretty big topic to talk about in the couple of minutes that I have left. Let me say, first of all, that I love the Bible. I know some people say they love the Bible and they never read it. <laughs> some people believe that the Bible is the word of God, but they never read it. I read it from cover to cover every year. And in addition to that, I read the daily lectionary, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, a gospel reading every day, as many people do in our church. I have memorized several hundred passages and go over some of them every day. I love the Bible. On the way down here, I'm listening to the sixth of, of a sixth series, six-part series on the term the Son of Man in the Bible by a couple of the guys involved with the Bible Project. I highly recommend the Bible Project. Great videos. I love the Bible. When I'm reading, when I do my extra reading, it's usually about the Bible. And having wrestled with this issue for decades, I can tell you that there is no absolute way to come down in relationship to this issue on one side or the other. 
and say, but, but, but pastor, it's so clear. There's, there's five or six pastors, they're all against same-sex marriage, or at least, of course, marriage wasn't an issue. It wasn't a possibility, same-sex behavior. A couple of nights ago, my wife and I were talking, and she talked about this book by Sue Monk Kidd, novel, and, uh, and we, you know, we know this sort of thing happened in the antebellum South, but uh, the author talks about how the slave owner every Sunday morning would gather the slaves together to preach to them. And it was always the same passage. Slaves obey your masters. There's over 300 references to slavery in the Bible. In fact, some of them are in the teachings of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. There's only two or three that don't accept and condone slavery. Jim uh, Brownson, New Testament professor at Western Seminary, has a letter from an ancestor back in the 19th century around the time of the Civil War. And in the letter it says, those Yankees don't have a biblical leg to stand on. Remember I, I talked about the word story? The story obviously didn't end with the end of the New Testament. The story continued. And it's still continuing. People have said that racism is the original sin of the United States of America. I think there's some, some truth to that. 600,000 people were killed just after the South had gone through a spiritual revival. Not to mention countless limbs lost in the process. Those Yankees, they don't have a biblical leg to stand on. So it's complicated. And we have to wrestle with Scripture. And so what I'm going to do in closing is just read a few phrases. And um, I would love to spend about an hour and a half just going through this passage. But I'm just going to read some phrases. I'm going to let you decide whether or not these apply to the issue of same-sex marriage. I'm not, I'm not trying to be rhetorical here. I'm not saying they do. You say, Pastor, you're taking this out of context. Our job as interpreters, whether we're pastors and teachers or people read, who read the scriptures every day, our responsibility always is to say, okay, how am I going to apply that to my situation? It may be different. Does it apply and how do I apply? So let me just read these these, these phrases and these sentences in closing, and I'll, I'll let you try to figure out or be in a process in the future of figuring out, does this apply to this issue? One person's faith allows them must not treat with contempt, must not judge. For God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, including those of us who treat our brother or sister with contempt. 
Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Just a word about the word righteousness. Some people have this idea that the LGBT community is just wanting to do whatever they want, flaunt all the rules, when we're talking about just the opposite. Getting married? Being monogamous? Being com- confined to one partner for the rest of your life, or at least who, you know, whoever lives, you know, who dies first? That's, that's not doing whatever you want. It's wanting to live some kind of righteous life. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. About the time that I began to reflect upon the weight of the issue, I began to say to my congregation, Whatever you believe about this issue, I will be your pastor. And to those of you who are part of the LGBT community, whatever you decide to do and whatever you decide to practice around this issue, I will be your pastor. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. We're, as a congregation, trying to figure that out, even as you are at this point. And maybe you have more questions than you had before I began this sermon. But I think that can be a good thing. Maybe it'll make us humble as we continue the journey together. Amen.